Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Well, good morning and welcome to Crossview this morning. I'm glad to be able to be with you in this way. And I'm glad that we are able to gather in the new year. I hope you had a great new year and looking forward to what the Lord has for us in 2022. Today we begin a new sermon series called Walking with Jesus. Uh, This is going to be a fun and slightly unique series as uh, we look at a number of of Jesus' lessons and teaching, but in the context and from where he taught those lessons. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to be able to go to Jordan and Israel with a number of other pastors from our conference, and uh, it was an incredible trip. And one of the things that I learned is that being in the place where Jesus taught those lessons actually brought so much more understanding because Jesus often used the place and the landscape uh, of where he was to help aid in what he taught. And so for the Sundays in January, we're going to do our best to walk with Jesus through some very important spiritual lessons and doing so with pictures and videos from the actual places where he taught those lessons. I can't wait. In fact, uh, there were a few uh, other people from Crossview that were on that trip. David Haslam and Eric Spangler, but I know others of you have also uh, been over, over in that area. So today we're going to talk about a passage of scripture that you have likely heard about before, uh, but we're going to experience it in a whole new meaningful way uh, as uh, we're going to kind of go to that place. We're going to start at a place called Mount Arabel. Now we say mount as a mountain, but uh, Mount Arabel is a place that you could walk from the bottom to the top. It took a little while. It's still pretty high, but it's not like a northwest mountain like we would think of mountains here in our context. Uh, but this was a really important mountain because it was a mountain that as you got up to the top of it, looked over the Sea of Galilee. You could see almost everything, not just the sea, but all the little towns around it. And this is a primary place for where Jesus was in ministry. So we went on a warm and sunny day, and as we were walking up the mountain, you could hear the rocks uh, and the dry plants as they crushed under your feet. It was the kind of place where kids would love to run and play on the rocks and climb everywhere, and parents would probably get a little worried that they were getting too close to the edge. But when you got to the top of the mountain, it was breathtaking. You could see for miles. You had a great view of the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. And like I said before, it was a lot of where Jesus, the context of Jesus' ministry. In fact, because of this, this is likely where Jesus, uh, because of this area and where Jesus was, it was likely this mountain was one of the places where Jesus would go up to the high places to pray. And to look over. So it was really cool to know that this could have actually been we, that we were walking in a place where Jesus likely stood and sat and prayed. It was pretty amazing. So I'd like to show some pictures. Uh, and so this, as you see, is what Mount Arabel looks like as we're just about to go over to the edge up at the very top. You can kind of get a sense of what it looks like. And as you kind of come over the top, what you can see as you see the Sea of Galilee, the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. Now, you can see across the entire Sea of Galilee, and then you can also see these little towns that would have been built all around uh, the sea. It's pretty cool because if you look to the left a little bit, what you see is that's the city of Magdala, where Mary was from. So you can see all of these cool places. 
this is the, uh, another just a pretty incredible view. You can see for miles. Now I want to show you this picture, and we're going to pause here for just a moment, uh, because from this spot you can see one of the most famous cities of those days, and it still is today. It's the highest city in Israel, and it sits at over 3,000 feet. It's called Safed. Now here's the cool thing about the city of Safed is, and you can see it right there at the very top, uh, this, this is the city that Jesus pointed to when he said, you are the light of the world, a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. Jesus was teaching a very important lesson when he was pointing to the city of Safed. Jesus was teaching his disciples about who they were to be and how he wanted them engaged in the world around them. And that's why we're talking about this today as we enter into a new year. Part of the heart of who we are here at Crossview is that we are people who are in our own process of discipleship, but who take seriously this call from Jesus to hear and to grow and then to invite others into their own process with him however we can, whenever that works and in the best ways possible for them. We want to stand out like this city on a hill. And there was no hiding the city of Safed, especially at night, when all the lamps were on, you could see it for miles from everywhere. Jesus clearly lays out his purpose for us as his followers in two very clear statements. In Matthew 5, 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. What good is salt if it's lost its flavor? You can, can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. And then in Matthew uh, 5, 14 through 16, just to the next verse as it says, you are the light of the world and a city on a hilltop cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where, everyone, where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Whoa, so great. And I, this is, it's, I think this is an important context for us to think as we, about as we start a new year and all that God has for us in this new year. Just before these verses, Jesus, uh, he calls his followers, just before he calls his followers salt and light, he gives the famous Sermon on the Mount. Um, and in part of that was called the Beatitudes. In the Beatitudes, he, he essentially maps out the kind of person, the character that he wants you and I to have. These, he says, truly represent my kingdom. He talks about being Uh, poor in spirit and meek, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be merciful, to be pure in heart, to be peacemakers. Uh, And he said, blessed are the persecuted because you're seeking righteousness. So he gives all these qualities that will make you and I distinct from the world. And he says, they will make us distinct from the world and effective for God's kingdom. And he follows it up and says, I want you to move out into the world with that beautiful distinctiveness. Go boldly. Ask God, he says, to lead us, to lead you to the lost and the hurting, to bring them to Jesus. Be the photograph of God in a dark place. Look up here. You can't hide the city, and that's what I want you to be like. 
If the Beatitudes describe essential kingdom tendencies and the character of disciples of Jesus, then the salt and light metaphors describe the essential action of Jesus' disciples. The action that we're to take for the good of the world around us and the glory of God. You are to be witnesses, beacons of light in the darkness, rays of hope in the midst of despair. What is it? What is the driving force of all of that? That God is in the business of healing and renewing and restoring and making all things right. And we get to be part of that. We get to be the hands and feet of God in that process. Incredible. There's this amazing prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane just before he took, uh, he's taken to the cross. In John 17, 15 through 16, it says this. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, he's praying, but that you will keep them, uh, keep them and protect them from the evil one, that they are not of this world just as I am not of this world. The message of the Beatitudes is telling us what it's difficult for us to want to be different. Not odd, strange, weird, quirky, but morally and spiritually, behaviorally different. Driven by love for people and actually believing that God's love can make a significant difference in the lives of people around us. This should make us reflective of God's character and his plan for all of us. To tell everyone in who we are and how we live that there is hope, there's love, there's grace, and it's available to you no matter what. No matter how bad you're hurting or how poorly things are going, there's hope and healing for us all. All of this is telling us uh, what none of us really like to do in a cultural context, but is to stand out in a crowd, but to stand out in a crowd in a very, very good way. We had another really neat experience. I want to use this, this, uh, this uh, another place that we traveled to as an example of what God is asking us to do uh, by standing out and being uh, the city on the hill. We had this really, this, another really cool experience in Israel uh, that helps us understand this. While we were in Israel, we traveled to the Dead Sea. I know probably almost all of you have heard of the Dead Sea, but as we left Jer- Jerusalem, the terrain rapidly changed. We moved from rolling hillsides uh, to areas that were stark and desolate, desert-like. The land was dry, arid, rocky, and rough. And all of a sudden, within a span of about 13 miles, as you drive, uh, as you drive roughly 3,400 feet uh, above sea level, sea level to uh, nearly 1,400 feet below sea level, it's quite a drop, There was in this land near the Dead Sea, uh, what we know as the, there were some caves that were found, and in these caves were what what is called uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls. In 1947, there were some shepherd boys who were tending their goats. They threw some rocks into a cave, and they heard something break. These are the caves that they threw those rocks into. And they went to go investigate. And what they found was they found these incredible clay jars with scrolls inside of them. Now this was an incredible discovery because these scrolls today, like I said, are known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. They're some of the oldest copies of scripture that we have that are mostly intact. Over time, it's really cool to see these. Over time, every book in the Old Testament except for the book of Esther would be found 
in these caves known as the caves at Qumran. This is some of what you're looking at now is what the building of the community that translated these scrolls or wrote these scrolls. Uh, now, they were written by a group known as the Essenes. And the Essenes were a Jewish sect uh, of people that had abandoned Jerusalem, it seems, in protest against the temple and how it was being run. The Essenes hid themselves away from society in the wilderness, obviously you can see in the desert, uh, and they were isolationists. They moved themselves out into the desert to pursue, according to their own writings, righteousness, and the bar and the requirements to join their community were really, really high. In other words, it wasn't easy for people to join into this community. They had a very high fence. They didn't care about the world around them, that they were more interested in their own efforts to pursue God, uh, which included memorizing and transcribing thousands and thousands and thousands of scrolls. These scenes uh, for us are a good example of what Jesus is telling his disciples essentially not to do, to hide away and to keep God's word for yourself. It's lucky that these shepherd boys came around and found these scrolls. Otherwise, who knows if we would have ever found these. We have a God that pursues us and wants us to be active in pursuing others with his good news. And as believers, sometimes we need to be reminded that we were once the ones who were lost. And that God came in pursuit of us to save us by his grace. It is so much easier to surround ourselves sometimes in a holy huddle at church and be comfortable than to be out in the world pursuing people like Jesus has called us to do. Now please don't misunderstand me here. I think we do this well here at Crossview. We make a significant effort to connect with people around us and our neighbors and our community and you all do an incredible job. Pastor Holly and I were so impressed. We talked about this so many times over the Christmas season. How much You all went out of your way to help people. Incredible. It's built into our culture. It's a normal part uh, part of the way that we talk around here about following Jesus. That we recognize that part of our discipleship process is to reach out and invite others into their own process with Jesus. And that is exactly what Jesus called his followers to do as he pointed at this city. As a group of us, at the, uh, uh, mostly pastors, at the end of this trip started talking about this, we started talking about what does it look like to, to live this out in a, in a way that makes sense. Uh, in the context of, we started talking about it in the context of social engagement versus social isolation. We started talking about John the Baptist, who, this is an amazing, we, I mean, we, we, start, we read this, uh, we kind of heard about John the Baptist a little bit here at, in Advent, but John the Baptist was a Jesus' cousin and, and the one called to go prepare the way, but had joined this Essene community. But even as an Essene, he didn't isolate himself. He came to the edge of, t- of town, uh, preaching and preparing the way for Jesus. He couldn't help himself but to share this message, even though he was one of these isolationist communities. We also remember what happened with Jesus his disciples after the resurrection, all of these fun kind of connections that we make through scripture 
Do you remember where they were found, the disciples, after Jesus' death and, and his resurrection, but before they knew that he had risen from the dead? They were in a room together in a door, behind a locked door, afraid and isolated, right? But when Jesus came in, what did he tell them? In John 20, 19 through 22, we read this. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Oh, isn't that amazing? Our lives should be like a city on a hill, like a light in a world of darkness. And you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all together. You just have to be on your own journey with Jesus to show people God's love. And God empowers us by his Holy Spirit, helping us along the way. Don't be afraid as we begin this new year to show off the grace that we've received in Jesus. I'd like to be helpful with some helpful um, uh, tips on, on how we can do this. And so I just want to share briefly three things that maybe can help us think about how we're going to live out this, uh, this call for Jesus, from Jesus. The first thing is to experience the transforming power of God on a daily basis. The more you spend time with God in prayer and in the word, the more active you will naturally be. Why? Because God tends to fill us to overflowing as we grow in our faith. This is one of those things that it's really important that we as followers of Jesus develop regular rhythms and patterns in our life that help us grow close with Jesus, encounter his word and his spirit. The more we spend time with God in prayer and in the scripture, the more active we'll be because his Holy Spirit will fill us to overflowing. We'll gain wisdom and excitement as we learn to trust God more and more uh, and his leading. We'll want to tell stories of what God is doing along the way. The second thing is to work against the temptation to hide the light. I know that putting our faith on display can be challenging in the world that we live in, uh, but acts of love and compassion and mercy are desperately needed and stand out in the culture in which we live. I can't tell you how much our neighbors have been drawn to our willingness just to stand outside and talk together, to ask how they are for a few minutes, to tell them that we care about them, to invite them over to our house. It seems that like, like that kind of loving attention Uh, shouldn't have as much effect in the lives of people around us, but it does. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And I know the tendency is to want to disengage with people, especially people that we don't know well. But I'd encourage you not to hide the light of the Lord within you. Even a simple, how are you doing? And really listening and really caring for someone can make a significant impact. Here's a couple of key questions that you might ask yourself. In the place where God has you, are you shining your light for Jesus or has it grown dim? Who is, uh, is Jesus calling me to? Uh, who is Jesus calling me to be? And what is Jesus calling me to do? Those are some, you could ask those questions on a daily basis. Those are good questions. And finally, be active in service. Take loving action on behalf of other people. 
Let's make a difference in our communities, in our neighborhoods. There's a lot of ways to engage with other people. We've got some great opportunities here at the church. Uh, and I know that you all have some great ideas. And we're going to be talking about more ideas, more things that we can do as a church community in our own neighborhoods. But my hope is that today is just an encouragement to shape how we think, to shape our perspective as we head into a new year. This is going to take us all working together to do what God has called us to do at Crossview. Wherever we are placed to have the kind of impact that the Lord wants us uh, to have. I want to encourage you to, to dive into the BLESS model again. Go download that packet that we've got and, and uh, do that process with your friends and your neighbors around you. I'd like to end our time together with a devotion from our trip written by my good friend, Pastor Ryan Wilson, who is the lead pastor at the Dearborn Free Methodist Church in Michigan. And here's, how he, here's what he said. I'm just going to read this for us as we end our time together. He says this, one of the things I'm concerned about is how uh, people grow in God. I know a lot of people who have a lot of biblical knowledge stored up in their brains, but when the storms of life come, they don't know how to live out their faith in Jesus because they've never experienced living in the strength of Jesus. You see, one way to grow spiritually is not only having knowledge, but living out that knowledge and passing it on to others. If we do not live out our faith, if we only value head knowledge, then we are in great danger of becoming Dead Sea Christians. The Dead Sea is the lowest place on earth, but the Dead Sea has no outlet. Everything flows in and nothing flows out. Because of that, the water has become incredibly salty and absolutely nothing can live there. No plant life can exist. If a fish flows into the Dead Sea, it dies almost immediately. The whole thing is completely dead. A lot of Christians are like the Dead Sea. Stuff flows into them like crazy, but nothing flows out. The world that we live in says acquire as much knowledge or wealth as you can and keep it for yourself, but this is not the kingdom way. Jesus says, for whosoever should save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's only when we lose our life and give our life to Jesus and his ways, then even in the midst of a storm or when we find ourselves at a dead end, we can actually experience the strength and the goodness of God. So my prayer is that God's words would flow into us today and then flow right back out that we might be like the city on the hill or, sal or the salt of the earth, being a living witness to God's grace all around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for this word today. Thank Thank you, God, for your scripture. Thank you for the way that you teach and encourage us. Thank you for the way that <laughs> you have used uh, the, uh, the, the landscape around you to help even us learn more and more. Uh, the city on the hill, the scenes that were separated, even the Dead Sea, and how all of those teach us the lessons of what it means to follow you, Jesus. I pray that we are not like Dead Sea Christians, as my friend so eloquently wrote. That your, the knowledge and growth that we have in you, the transformation that we experience will change us and flow immediately out from us to those around us. Encourage us, inspire us, move us, God, as we get to be your hands and feet in this world. We love you and we praise you and we give you all the glory. Amen. Let's worship together.